Hello and welcome to the Negroni Talks podcast, brought to you from East London and supported by Campari. Set up to be lively, provocative debates on issues around architecture, the Negroni Talks are hosted at the Venetian restaurant Ombro in Hackney and organised by architects Ford Space with the assistance of Rob Fe- The talks are designed to emulate the opinionated and convivial free-flowing debates found in the fin de siècle European Café Society being fueled by food, drink, and particularly Negroni. There's no stage, no standing on ceremony, and the audience are asked to participate as much as invited speakers and the chair for the event. These recordings are presented as they happen live, and like the talks themselves, with no frills and little or no editing, to bring you the arguments of the evening, direct and unfiltered. This talk was hosted in collaboration with Grant Gibson at Oxo Tower Wharf as part of the Material Matters Design Fair, South Bank, London. So in sharing, but actually this is supposed to be an interactive discussion with all of us involved and that's why the speakers are dotted around kind of an- anonymously in the dark. Um, and I'll let them introduce themselves uh, themselves rather than me reading out long introductions. But uh, my name is Debika Ray. I'm a journalist and editor. Um, I've written about design and architecture for most of my career and recently took over as the editor of Crafts magazine, which is published by the Crafts Council. And I wanted to start maybe by, because this is supposed to be interactive, to get a sense of who is in the room and we're talking about architecture and craft today. So who are we? Are there architects in the room? Maybe a show of hands of who's an architect. Crafts people? kind of a half and half journalists I'm here yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah um anyone else what is the anyone else <laughs> yes well you can tell them what are you time promoter and okay well a bit of a mix um and I think let's first maybe start by introducing our speakers um I am going to hand over to Bill Bilambo to start with if you don't mind introducing yourself um hello uh, everybody and um, welcome. Um, I'm uh, Bill Amberg from Bill Amberg Studio. We are a specialist uh, design business, um, largely using leather, um, where we and we create furniture and architectural installations all around the world. And we're based in Park Royal in London, um, where there's a group of of, um, of craftspeople and designers um, touching on all aspects of leather work, really. Great. Uh, and now maybe to Matt next, Matt Barnes. Hi. My name is Matt Barnes. Uh, I run an architecture, I think I call it architecture, architecture and ideas studio called Can. In We're in Catford, south-east London. Um, famous for its big cat above the shopping centre. Uh, we kind of work on a mix of projects from sort of private residential all the way down to, to furniture, some exhibition design, some installations. And I think what we're, we're really interested in is combining and discovering new materials and using them in ways which haven't been done before or have been done very little before and trying to weave in this idea of what does a material mean on sort of an emotional level and an ideas level and uh, what does it make the user, the visitor or the passerby feel when they see it or touch it? That's about it. Great, thank you. And Corinne Julius over here. Hello, um, I'm Corinne Julius. Um, I'm a journalist, critic and curator. 
I've written and broadcast on design and craft for an awfully long time and for various different um, papers and magazines and BBC Radio. And I also curate exhibitions from something like Silver Speaks on Contemporary Silver at the V&A um, through things like Blooming Jewels, which is about uh, contemporary jewellery. Uh, but the thing I do most and enjoy probably the most is I curate a show um, called Future Heritage, which is about showing makers and what they can do for people in interiors and in architecture. Um, just to put it into parenthesis, I actually studied both at the Royal College and at Sheffield University and lectured in environmental social psychology, which does actually have something to do with looking at how craft works in interiors. Uh, and my show, Future Heritage, used to be at Decorex, and this year it opens uh, in, at Chelsea Design Harbour, and it opens from the 10th to the 14th of October. And please do all come along, uh, because you'll see some really interesting, amazing makers and meet them too. Great, thank you. And our final panellist is Shiro Maturi, who doesn't have a microphone. Hello everybody, my name is uh, Shiro Mushiri and I'm the creative director of SoShiro, which is a collaborative platform based in Malibong, um, London. Um, I'm, tri I'm trained as an interior architect, but I'm also a curator and um, my interest lies in the intersection of architecture with art and or craft um, and other creative disciplines. So we uh, primarily put together projects that involve all different types of disciplines to create an experience in our space and galvanize our community and see how we can um, bring the different facets of creative world together, mainly architecture and art. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so obviously the subject at hand is architecture and craft, which is uh, huge and broad um, potential discussion and, and I've been thinking about it a little bit and, and in my experience of writing about both fields, what strikes me is that they seem to kind of be heading in opposite directions in, the kind of, in terms of the dominant conversation. So obviously craft is very much about the local, the handmade, the bespoke, um, but in architecture or maybe I suppose construction, which is the making side of architecture, the main conversation is at the moment is very much about how do we uh, standardize and modularize things and, and make things in factories to be more efficient and, and more sustainable and, and kind of reduce uh, risks on site um, of, of constructing on site. And I think when we talk about craft in architecture, um, so there can be a sense of nostalgia um, and also potentially a kind of avoidance of the fact that when you hand make buildings, which people do in vast parts of the world, it can be a horrible, grueling process and, and it's not always pleasant and there's a rose-tinted sense of how we approach these two things. Um, but I don't think that necessarily has to be the way. I think if we think of craft just as a kind of application of certain things on buildings, then that may be true. But if we look broader at craft as a kind of process and a way of thinking, I think there's a way of kind of bringing those two things together. Um, so I think, so again, the question is, how do we think of what is craft in the context of architecture? And I wonder whether maybe we could start with you, Matt, as an architect. What, how do you think of craft in terms of architecture and in terms of what you do and, and your projects? Um, so I think it's funny because the so to give some context to our projects, we kind of work on very low budget projects. So the idea that you would have a craftsperson 
you would be able to afford a craftsperson to make a certain element of that building or bring them in is out of reach at the moment. So I think that our, our main cra craft is how do we get the most out of the building from a spatial and material perspective with using the lowest amount of resource, whether that's time or money. So that's a lot about thinking in the studio. How do we, how do we make the building? How how can this? How can we uh, sort of convey craft with using low skill? So uh, because often on site, what costs money is so the, the way to do it cheaply is to build it fast and to cover up cover up. Uh, use wet trades to cover up structural walls and stuff like that. So I think, yeah, the craft is in, in, in the, the designing of how we make it. So that may be, instead of doing a beautifully detailed block work wall, which uses a, a, a high-end block and needs a craft person to build the block work wall perfectly, we use a standard block, which can get put up by a, a normal laborer and then we add some detail into it by doing different bonds or whatever and then we cover it with a wet render or plaster or something and that uh, the low scale gets kind of take covered up or taken out of it and it, we can afford the craft at a cheaper cost yeah <laughs> yeah um corin i wonder whether i could bring you in on this now um should architects be interested in craft? And if so, in what way? What is it that you think they um, should be interested I, in? Yeah, I think architects should be interested in craft. I think actually your talk was very revealing because you were actually rather talking about craft people as pretty low down the level. And in my experience writing across design, craft and architecture, I'd put craft people, come some of the people who are out there, for example, pretty high up on that hierarchy in terms of intellect, narrative, and actually skills and processes. And I think one of the things that pisses me off more than anything else is the fact that architects in particular see themselves right at the top of that pyramid directing everybody and saying, well, you know, you little guys down there in your little brown overalls with the pencils in there, uh, or you very nice lady with the sort of hair back in a bun and the sandals, you can maybe bring something afterwards, which is a fundamental misunderstanding about what craft is. Craft is about incredible intellectual rigor. Anybody who's got any doubts, go and talk to the two people on the metal project, and I guarantee you, you'll be trembling in your boots at the end of it. Um, you know, basically, these people have real thought, they're really thinking things through, they're, they've got a good story, but they're pushing processes and material. If you want to push processes and material, talk to some of the craft makers, because they could collaborate with you to make really interesting things, produce new kinds of solutions to your problems. Of course, there are high-end crafts, which is in a way going towards the fine arts, but those people too, they're often seen by developers and architects as something quite pretty that we'll bolt on the end if we've got a bit of money left and makes it look good. That's really not what it's about. These people can make such a huge difference to your project. They can give it such quality, such character, such intensity and really good stories. I don't understand why you lot can't understand that they're really good. Can I come back on that? Of course. <laughs> and, and, you know, there's a room full of architects, so feel free to... I, I was more trying to convey that we... Uh, the projects that we work on, we 
aren't at that level where we can employ cra specific craftspeople to, because the budgets are so low, with the contractors we're using are sort of jack of all trades, which are very good at demolishing stuff, putting steel work up, but the finer junctions of things are very hard to achieve on a low budget. And so I was think I was in the context of those projects, the craft comes in talking to the main contractor and understanding the skills that are available to achieve what you want to achieve without employing a more expensive craftsperson. I mean, I don't, don't hog it. Yeah, of course I do. Um, yeah, but I, even then, I think there's opportunities for you to work with people who are makers, who are, who are kind of people who are really exploring materials, exactly. who could maybe work with you to look at perhaps more interesting and innovative solutions that aren't necessarily that expensive to do. And I do appreciate that you're, but I was told I had to be my normal self and uh, be aggressive. <laughs> I am, it's my defunct mode. I'm gonna bring in uh, Shiro and Bill now. Um, Shiro, you, you trained as an interior architect, um, is that right? And, and now you uh, run a gallery where you deal with craftspeople, so you have a kind of sense of both sides of it. Could you, why are you interested in craft as a... Yes, I, I do, I feel like I speak both languages and I understand either discipline pretty well, having been on one side and now being on the other. Um, I do think both architects and both craftspeople want to get involved. It's just the mechanics of it sometimes is not straightforward. I mean, you know, architecture projects have very rigid programs, budgets, and, um, you know, they want to have very, um, they, want to, they want to know what you're going to get in the end. And so it's, there's no much room for that experimental element as such, especially um, in uh, low-budget projects. So I think that, but I think craftspeople are also very versatile and can, can transpose what they do, their craft and their skill, and try and meet what is required of an architectural project or a finisher wall. I just think those conversations are not given the opportunity to take place. There is... Um, you know, people just have this perception of craft as very expensive, very out of reach, and you have to, you know, kind of take it as it is from the craft or workshop, and architects kind of view who they, what they have to do, what they have to deliver, and therefore there's an impasse, I think. And I think if there is a way of getting those conversations going, the craftspeople are very keen, because in the end, humanizing buildings is, is, is so important today, more than ever. And there are lots of opportunities in uh, architecture, in the fabric of the building, to incorporate craft, especially if it's if the discussion takes place at the beginning, not at the end, as Corinne said, you know, if there's something left over in the budget and you want to put it over. I think if you have if you ha if if you think about craft right from the outset as an architect and think, I want to incorporate this workshop, this other workshop, etc. You can work around how to receive that craftsmanship. You can work around budgets. And I think um, at the end, when you look at the architecture produced at the end and the sacrifices from not using craft, it doesn't, as the years go and the impact the building has to people, you find that that value that could have been put forward at the outset would have been far more better a decision and the cost would have been very little if you calculated over the span of that time. So I think it's just opportunities for those conversations to take place and architects not to fear craft people and craft people to, 
you know, show their uh, versatility and adaptability. Um, those are my thoughts. Yeah. Um, Bill, you've you've put craft well, I in can the. I, I, I mean, I think that it's it's really interesting, and both I think you're, you're talking complete sense. It's, it seems to me that the the word craft is just is just the completely the wrong word. You know, you're talking about experts in materials and people who experiment with materials, and they're all lumped together into this kind of thing called craft, which Corinne touches on, where everybody's expecting them to be kind of bearded and, you know, w you know, in, in, in overalls with a pencil. You know, it's, it's just not like that. You know, craft comes across in every aspect of making, and and really what it boils down to is experts in a field of materials and people who'll push those materials along, and. Uh, Money, you know, everybody's realistic. Everybody understands the commercial aspects of building a building, especially if they're involved in any sorts of architecture or their um, practice has been um, matured, if you like. You know, you understand the complexities of building anything. Um, and, and really, the opportunities for architects are in the, in the initial communications. Getting people in early, as you say, is absolutely crucial. Um, and then to start the discussion. And as soon as the discussion starts, ideas start popping. And that's what makes it interesting and fun. And it's not only, you know, the architect is, is really the orchestrator of a collaborative, um, you know, from the builders to the workers, but also the other experts that they can bring into a, into a job. And that's what makes the job interesting and exciting. Can I give you an example? Um, of course. So years ago, when Right and Right were doing the Women's Library, which sadly no longer exists in that format, but it is London Met, um, I worked very closely with Right and Right, Claire Wright in particular, on looking, and in part because I knew Claire, <coughs> and she knew that I was passionate about craft, and we started talking about how craft could be put into the building at a fairly early age, stage. And we looked at it, and we came up with a couple of projects but, you know, they were still very reticent about, you know, can we trust these people? Can they, can they make stuff? We had a project whereby we had a whole load of makers doing stuff that was in a staircase, which was very successful. Um, but didn't make it in the final thing because a new director came in and didn't like it. That's a different matter. But particularly one maker, um, a jeweler called Anna Gordon, who I recommended to Claire and said, this woman understands architecture. She understands scale and all kinds of things. You should get her, as you're not confident, to do things like um, a clock, the door handles, door plates, things that you know are quite small scale and... And agree Claire agreed to that in the end, somewhat reticently. And I said, but what you should really get her to do is design the gates, because she'd absolutely understand it. And unlike architects, who I think find it very hard to go down to a smaller scale, personally, you don't think architects should be any allowed anywhere near a piece of furniture. That's a whole <laughs> other discussion. Um, basically... I'm not here to be controversial, that's what I think. Um, but it was really interesting. So when the building was finished, Anna Gordon did a fantastic job. And um, Wright and Wright and a number of other architects who came to the project were really pleased with the things, the door handles things. But Claire did admit to me afterwards, she said, you were absolutely right. We sh I designed the gates, she said, but we should have got Anna to do that because she would have done a much better job. She would have given us much more quality, much more, as you said, the humanizing quality, and it would have just been 
added so much to the quality of the building. And I think that's the kind of thing I recommend. But it's very hard for architects. Or for developers, they don't... So some architects get it, though. Yeah, I mean, some architects we work with, some architects yeah. we get it are, are just absolutely fantastic at it. I mean, they just bring you in right at the beginning of the project. And not only is it... I mean, I'm, I'm obviously particularly interested in leather and that aspect of it, but you can see it on some buildings and with some architects where they've got an entire group of, of amazing craftspeople all experts in their field, and, and we're all working in a kind of massive group. So we might work with a metal worker, we might work with a specific woodworker or a glass worker. But it's hard for them, isn't it, to actually get... Well, it's hard to, for, for some them of them. To, it's for hard them at the beginning yeah. to trust people. I mean, at Future Heritage, you know, we have a very wide mix of people, and I, I actually trained at the Royal College as an interior designer, so I'm allowed to be critical um, but about interior designers and architects, and I find them unbelievably unimaginative. They simply don't <laughs> get how you transfer, you know, someone who's working with things to something else, whereas makers, on the other hand, not all of them, but a lot of them are able to actually work collaboratively mm. and to think, well, if we did that, maybe we could do this. And it's the, well, what if? Mm. And I think architects are terrified of losing control. I think this is a good point. Uh, <laughs> if we can bring in <laughs> many of the architects in the room, since we're, it's a room full of them to defend themselves. And also we've got loads of empty chairs and people are standing. So please, please come here, bring some Negronis and, and talk. Um, and no, I'm going to leave an awkward silence so that some no, architects I'll, can chip I, in. I can chip in. Um, Architecture is uh, a very broad church, obviously, as as makers are, and I I don't really like the definition between architects and uh, a kind of almost separate from the design world or the the makers world. I I don't really see that that, that distinction uh, in our work, especially. Uh, I agree, it is totally true of certain architects, and I think I guess. The challenge is how do we increase that? How do we increase that cross crossover? And I think architectural education is probably part partly to blame. Um, but it's also about like say for instance I came came to this fair, and there there's not really anything like this for architecture because architecture is at one to one scale and you have to almost experience a building. It's very hard to exhibit architecture because you're not looking at you're not in the thing you're looking at a picture or a piece or something like that and yeah i don't have the answer but how do we how do we increase that porosity can i, can I follow that up do you think matt and and maybe shiro as well from the interior design perspective that one way of doing that is actually getting the person who's paying for the work or the client Round the table as well, and almost sort of getting them yeah. into it. That's a really, I think that's really interesting point because one of my big um, gripes with with working with architects and interior designers is unless we meet the client, there's always an issue. There's always an issue unless we can, we get the client in, then it's golden. When they come in and see the studio, they can meet every, they can un meet the craftspeople. They can understand what the, the notion of the workshop and the interaction between design and making is. And they can see the enormous variety of materials available to them. And then the, and then the client gets it. And I think that's really, it's really interesting you say that. And sometimes, inversely of that, some of our best clients are 
property developers who insist that the architect comes to see us. So it kind of works in both ways. You know, we work with property developers who we've worked with for the last 20 years who always want to have our work in their buildings. And the architects are very reluctant and kind of want us to design us out of it. And the, and, the, and the property developer says, no, 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 I'm sorry, you've got to have Bill Amberg, and more to the point, you need to go and visit his studio. So it's kind of it's very interesting. I agree with that. I think it's very important, for, yeah. especially when the cl maybe the client isn't aware of the, the process that goes into making, and yeah. so all they see is a finish and then a price, and they don't actually understand the process behind the making and the, 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 the craftsmanship. And I think, yeah, and it, then they get excited by it. That's what, what seeing it being made, seeing their building, where their money's going is, is it's very I mean, Just the conversations that I've had this morning, walking around this building, talking to different people, making and thinking up different materials and different ideas, just those conversations are what you need to engage with the architect and the client because then suddenly everything starts to ping and, that, and that's, what, that's what makes it interesting. I want yeah. to bring Shiro... No, I, I think the question is really good because um, I've heard craftspeople say that sometimes when they're working with the architect only and no visibility to the client is like working blind because they need to know what is the vision of the client so that they can be able to, um, you know, sh show propose what will actually be close because it's you know craftspeople as I say they're, they're very creative they they can do a lot of things beyond what you see and they're very and therefore if they're given the problem row from the client what they're trying to achieve and that conversation taking place I think it's really healthy to have and I think the architect should not be um, should be you know seeing this as an opportunity of having the craftspeople working on their behalf convincing the client how to get a much Ooh. more yeah interesting building full of character. Can I have my follow-up question then? Yeah. Corin, why can't we bash clients rather than architects? <laughs> um, you can, of course, bash clients and architects in my experience. And I have a daughter who's an architect. Uh, so some of my best friends are architects. Um, you know, I mean... You, to my knowledge, you do generally do bash your clients quite a lot. Um, so we can bash clients, but in my experience, so um, heritage, which I'll come back to, is experience of when architects and designers bring, uh, as you say, bring people around, the clients around, they get really excited and clients get excited and they like touching things and they like looking at things and they like... Also, the clients like being part of the process. They do obviously require some help in interpreting how to do that, and that can be the skill of the architect, the skill of the maker, or the skill of you know somebody bossy like me. Um, but it basically, it's it's that question of, of when you're when you're talking together. And the other thing is that actually, what often quite appeals to clients is that they're going to get added worth. And when they look back, that they find that some people who they might have commissioned as a little nice little craftsperson actually turns out to be quite an important big craftsperson that sort of phones into a fine art market going. And they actually find they've got quite a lot for their money. Um, and that sometimes afterwards, I think, encourages them to think, which is not necessarily the best reason from my point of view, but it's a bloody good reason for a client to actually invest in you working with makers. Just adding on to that point, and 
if you think about clients, they have their core interests. They have things they like, cultures, traditions that they already have affinity with. And sometimes the architects has the role of trying to bring those out in the brief and try to link up with craftspeople who have similar synergy in that way. And that means it's a very kind of easy sell. So, you know, you have, you, you kind of, res it's, you know, this culture, this craft resonates with you where you're from. And this is a craftsperson who can put that in the building. That, so it, can't, it doesn't have to be random. It can be something that you think about a little bit more at the beginning, and it becomes a very easy sell to the client. I want to hear from someone who's not one of the panelists um, on the question of how do we make the process of making buildings easier to incorporate craft into. Yeah, go ahead. Hi, uh, good afternoon, everyone. Do you want to say um, who you are? So I'm Nick. I'm an architect, <laughs> so to speak, and I'm from Stradrick Lawn Architects. So we're a, a large kind of commercial architect uh, based in the southwest. And um, I kind of agree with everybody in a little bit, you know, and I think this is why it's so hard to kind of to pitch in. But I think you, I, I completely agree it's about the process, you know. You start out on a process with an architect, with a brief, and that's when the craft people will come in and, and work with the team. And that's, you know, maybe you can develop that and you can get to a point where you have an outcome which is slightly different from what you'd intended from when you started from the outset. Now, that's great, but... Um, you also have, as an architect, you kind of work between the lines of uh, art and science. You end up in a situation where you have to, um, you know, mediate British standards, you have to mediate fire regulations, you have to mediate all of the different legal aspects of your profession. And so I think it's unfair slightly to say it's all the architect's fault. I think if you were to give an architect carte blanche and say, let's create something bespoke, let's create something that is truly crafted, they probably would bite your hand off and say, yeah, let's go for that. But I think um, that's not always the case. And um, architects do have the broadest view as coordinators within a design team. And so I think that's where you have to try and get the craft in while you can and try and influence the client and get them on board. Because as soon as you have that will, that will from the client to be able to push craft in every part of the building, then that's, uh, that really helps your ability to, to bring those crafts in, on board. Um, so, yeah, that's my view. How, so how, how can craftspeople get around that? Because it's a challenge, isn't it? It's inherently inconsistent, and, and it's not ever going to be the same as a factory process. Had it, are there yeah. any craftspeople who want to come back on that, on that point? I would, I would just say that, um, I would say that sometimes when you have a client that's design-led, uh, that's a dream, you know, because you have somebody who really wants to be, you know, wants craft to be part of that process, and that really drives up the value of the, the end product. But you know, more often than not, you have a, a client which is very commercially driven. They're looking at their profit margins, and uh, it becomes a much harder thing to try and sell to them. Um, but again, you also need to think that you know, there's no such thing as a low-skilled uh, worker. You know, even people that work for big house builders and, and uh, contractors, th the problem is they are also looking at you know, their quantity surveyors and their, their teams and how to cut costs. And I probably go back to the gentleman's first point in, um, in time. You know, often time is you know, cut short, which means that people can't have that uh, input. Did you want to say something? <coughs> oh, OK. Chiri, <laughs> um, you're, you're about to say something. No, I was just about to say I agree with him. Process is a big barrier to incorporate craft in architecture projects. I do think process is one thing that needs 
I mean, the cross people need to work on their process and get it as close as um, as other trades do when they want to be they want their product specified for an architecture project. If craftspeople could try and get closer to that um, line, whereby it's very clear what the risk is, what you're getting, how you maintain it, what you you know what the regulations are around it. If they can do all that work and table that work, then I think that will just make it easier for them to be to be part of it. Um, the lady here. Hi. Um, it's just really curious listening. It's a brilliant discussion. But um, it seems, I kind of feel it's a them and us, which is wrong. And I think you're talking about craftspeople and building people and architects. And I think that's where the problem is. It's kind of not them and us. And I think, you know, you mentioned, you know, the bricklayer is as much a craftsperson as the person doing the detail. And I think if everybody looked at the whole thing as craft, <laughs> from the foundations to the light in the <laughs> loo, um, you know, it would be kind of better and uh, it's not in them and us and I think, yeah, I think that's kind of critical and as soon as it's not them and us, I think it's all much better. So that's my added point. Lauren, that's aim it, well, why them and us? Well, I think I'm you started not, this. I, I think it's them and I'm sad that it's them and us. You know, I see the, the visual arts um, I mean, I was chair of the, visual, of the Critics Circle Visual Arts and Architecture section for a long time. And, you know, it is, it's part of a continuum. It's part of the quality of life. But the fact of the matter is, you know, architects, there is this hierarchy and it is very difficult to break it down. I'm not saying that makers aren't without their faults and I'm not one or the other. I'm a sort of intermediary. But I do think one of the interesting things is to get people to sit down and talk to each other and find out about each other. And yes, makers need help in understanding what the problems of architects are, what they need to, and things like fire retardant stuff and all of that. That's really important, but in a way, that's, the architect is always like the conductor, aren't they? I mean, you know, you're conducting an orchestra, you're bringing it together. And that's part of your job as the architect to actually have, say, look, on this part of the score, you need to concentrate on this, this, and this. You need to do that, that, and that. And then, you know, you can work with those people. I don't think it's as them and us as all that, but it's getting them together in the first place. And makers can produce objects, many of them do, that are very beautiful, that people come along and buy afterwards as an object. We still haven't got to the point where I think it's an assumption that people can work together. And in a way, architecture has always been bizarrely very hierarchical but also very collaborative. And it's trying to extend that to talking to makers. I mean, I think that's partly where I would see my own role as trying to help people see how they can work together. Ha-ha. <laughs> I mean, I'd love it, Grant, and you know it as well as I do. Debica can't comment. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it would be lovely if they did. But, I mean, yes, I mean, maybe people like us can push them to talk together. I did try at one point to work with the RIBA and say, could we do a joint project on using, on craft? But their view of craft was, you know, it's an education drip, drip, drip process. I don't know I've got that long left that I'll get through it. I mean, I'll really try if anyone wants to work with me on that. Well, I, th I think the RIB is the wrong way to go because they look after the, the big practices up here and they don't look after 90% of architects. Um, so I think having those conversations 
outside of any institutional organization is much going to be much more fruitful. I think it's also about, it was mainly about the design process, right? How does an architect approach the design? Uh, the ma majority of our, our work is private residential and a lot of new clients, if they're not in the creative industries or visual arts, they find it quite hard to formulate what they like. So they often, what you often get is they send a Pinterest board of 20 pictures of side extensions that they've just searched side extension. And what we try and encourage is actually we don't want to see the end product. We don't want to see, because we don't know the design journey that that's gone on, send us pictures of textures you like. Send us pictures of stuff from films, a scene or a graphic or something that allows us to get this sort of like visual visual board and visual interest up. And then we can say, oh, they've shared a picture of a really ornate, well-made kettle or something and then we look how is that made how, how what craftspeople can we contact to develop that side of things and then the client gets kind of a it's, it's quite a nice process in that they, they kind of their visual taste which they didn't actually know what it was is realized in their new wall in their kitchen or their the exterior of their new house and i think those early early conversations are very important I would say that stories are, you know, I think we're hardwired for stories. And I think that's really, really important. There are different ways at getting at those stories. But in my experience, makers are some, are some of the really best people at telling you a story. And they're stories that really somehow when you hear them, they suddenly get right to your heart. And I think it's a way of how do we facilitate the interaction between clients and architects and makers, because in a way we should all be singing from the same song sheet, but it's really hard to get people, and maybe this is a good place to start, that we are talking to each other. And learn. I, I don't know if anyone, just going back to the Method Project, but if you start talking to them about a material and what it can do, and it's engaging, and people, we, people love stories, but we're also, we forget about touch. In a society now that's dominated by sound and the visual, we forget that actually we also mediate the world through touch, and we have lost that opportunity. But craft, inverted commas, making, inverted commas, actually gives us the possibility of touching things, playing with things, and discovering. And people find that really engaging and exciting, no matter where they are on the sort of um, production of buildings. And that's something that we have to try and find ways for people to enjoy that. Mm. Yeah, because that really breaks, breaks down barriers of this idea that if a client isn't versed in the design world, they kind of see they, they can't engage in those conversations. But as soon as you take them a load of different materials, they can touch what they're building is going to feel like it really transforms their ability to, to talk I, about um, it. Can I just jump in there as well, just one final comment, because I think we go, come from a different end of the spectrum in terms of architecture. Um, we do a lot of work with schools, and therefore our client can be you know, the, the Department for Education. And I think actually it's upon all of us to really push the agenda for design and craft and to actually push that up and lobby our own government to appreciate that because, you know, Michael Gove famously said when he was education minister, schools are just boxes to learn in. And that was, you know, stripping out a lot of the opportunity for craft to be 
put into in front of clients and like you said to offer those stories and inspirations for uh, you know for making schools which we're really proud of schools which you know we can really include those kind of those details and those aspects that can inspire the next generation so I think really it's will and we need to get the will of everybody to be able to appreciate the value in craft rather than just push it upon the designers to say it's your job to champion this it should be everybody we have another comment or question over here, I think, to my right. Uh, no, so I, well, I hear about the, um, um, the debate about client, makers, and architects. That I think we need to talk about craftsmanship rather than craft people, because I don't believe there's a person called craft people. I'm a designer. People call me architects, but I'm an architectural designer working for a lot of re uh, retail, kind of restaurant fit out project, as well as a residential extension project. So I've been kind of hanging around with uh, craftsman people, uh, kind of uh, carpenters, joineries, metal fabricators, as well as client. I develop the design with a client. So I think I always would love to work with craftsmanship. I think we can all work together for good craftsmanship. For example, CNC cut, or the technology is the key. We don't need to, okay. Client can suggest some kind of CNC cut production. This is more productive way. The architect can pro suggest something, okay, we can do it in this way. The carpenter can suggest something other way too. So I think we all together work together for good craftsmanship. Um, and also we need to talk about sustainable material as well. So I think technology is the key and also I don't think we should discriminate or kind of, um, we should work together for good craftsmanship. Uh, that's what, what my point. I mean, I think yes, but I would also say that you're, you're suffering a little bit from seeing people craftsmanship is different from a craft from a maker I'd call them makers because craftsmanship yes people do have ideas and they're very thoughtful and if you work with go back into a factory and you see that people if you ask them they can often come up with better more sustainable more intelligent ways of making things and again on a building site you know I, I, I appreciate that but I think what perhaps what this talk is actually about more is about people who are makers who have a, a strong intellectual rigor behind what they're doing and there is uh, an art if you like an art object personally I wouldn't like to call it an art object but it is an object of some kind of beauty it's not just that you're doing a different finish or a different process you're actually adding something that has rather more to it and of course we should all work together and we should appreciate at different levels people's skills skills are hugely important but I would distinguish between artisanal craftsmanship and making, which I feel is, is has something even more to offer to, to buildings and to our overall enjoyment of the environment, and often in terms of sustainability too. Yeah. It, it feels also like we're, we're being too strict about how we define craft in that sense. I mean, often I come across this idea of, is it craft, the question that comes up again and again when editing the magazine is, is it craft enough? Oh no, a machine was used, maybe it's not craft, and, and that seems like a slightly self-defeating exercise in, in trying to kind of draw those boundaries. So I wonder maybe we're coming to the end of the session, so I wonder whether we could have kind of final thoughts on how do we do we need to we've had a go at architects a lot, so maybe we need to look at crafts a little bit and and, and stop 
defining it in such strict terms? I mean, is that something that feels right? Well, just on the yeah, on the on the craft and technology thing. I mean, me personally, I find it. I've, I'm always interested in new ways of making things and how technology develops to create those things. But I'm an expert in none of them, and I think what I find most fruitful about talking to fabricators and craftspeople and if those two are defined I'm not sure but um, they always have a, a new more efficient or because a lot of the time they're, you're in a competitive environment a bit like architecture and th so I, you discover a lot more ways of that technology is helping with the production of the, the piece or the bit of wall or the whatever that is being made and I you know, it's a constant learning process which is, enriches the architecture. And I think splitting craft and technology off as two separate things is, is not, a, not a great way to approach it. So I'm going to ask something maybe on the, on the craft and craftsmanship or the making and the craftsmanship side. Is there a kind of reverse crafting? You just made me think there that if there is... Um, a kind of an imaginative way of making or crafting some th element within architecture or interiors that you're doing it in a way which is so clever that it's imaginative, it adds the value, but it costs less. You know, and it's almost like not overdoing it, but kind of underdoing it, but an underdoing it with skill. Yeah, I think it depends on what you're trying to achieve, right? If 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 it's about the thing, if it's about a really beautifully made leather handrail that you touch every day and it really makes you feel something, or whether you're the 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 aim is to create a atmosphere about a certain idea and the level of detail of whatever the room or space you're in doesn't really matter whether that's like an all or dark blue painted room or whatever. It depends on what you're trying to achieve, I think, and the context. I, I think that, that I mean, we, we, we do some work with Amin Taha, and I think he's the most extraordinary architect who completely understands what you're describing in terms of m taking craft, i.e. making, in an expert way, and he reimagines it in an architectural scale. And I think that's consistently through his architecture, you see elements there which are just astounding. You know, on, on the scale of it is fantastic. We're running over time, so I'm going to say there's a lady at the back who wants to contribute, and then I'm going to get a final yeah. comment from Shira. And I, I just have a question. I'm an architecture student, and please correct me if I'm wrong, because I've been listening to you, and I feel like the majority of the qualities that everyone mentions here, we were talking about bespoke and um, handmade and unique. And the majority of um, what I've seen today at the exhibition is very special, but it's also very expensive. And the, I think that uh, from the architectural point of view, the percentage of the projects where we can really incorporate this kind of craft and this kind of bespoke production, this unique handmade, is really, really small. Are we talking about a very narrow um, segment of the industry? Are we talking about a very little amount of projects where can, we can really invite craftsmen and work with this um, bespoke furniture or uh, material handmade, like 
sustainable materials because it feels like a very big percentage of uh, residential projects that we can't even talk about it because we have a very very large amount of restrictions and uh, the questions of the budget and it's very it's reality something that yeah. is uh, there i'm going to ask shira to maybe respond to that and then Corinne and then um, well it's a very good question but again it comes down to bringing the craftspeople right at the beginning of the project so what you see here is made for exhibition it's probably prototypes it's probably work in progress and therefore has that price tag but I think when you're looking at a project and you want to incorporate craft because you understand the benefits of who is going to live in that space and then you will always find a way because craftspeople are very innovative and they can uh, look for solutions that will work within those budgets. I just think the opportunity for these conversations hasn't really taken place for there to be discounted as not feasible from the outset. Final word? I, I would agree <laughs> with that. I think that uh, a lot of makers are really imaginative, really thoughtful, and they're pushing their materials in new ways or developing new materials. There are a load of people out there developing materials. And it's the opportunity in the space. And I know that time is money. But if there is a way to find time to talk to people early on, I genuinely think that they can work on you know, high mass-produced type of projects. They can add something there. But it's a question of being able to talk to them early on. And I know that's very difficult for architects. And I don't want to just be an architect basher. Don't mind a bit, but hey. Um, you know, I just think... It's a question of talking and trying to find spaces to talk um, as equals rather than as architects, as directors. And I think that's the difference. It's a really good place to stop because we have everyone here to talk. Uh, oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Go I ahead. Just, one just, one I, final I, point. I think it's also about we, we, we also need to reconsider what the notions of a building are and what the purpose of an architect is. And I think your point the gentleman from the back there about, you know, schools is a perfect example. A school building should be a building that lasts for a hundred years minimum, and it should be central to a community, and it should be built on the premise of that, and it should be engaging the community for at least a hundred years. That's three or four generations. And therefore, you know, the government and, and our, the controlling bodies of our society need to be way, way, way more um, considered and cons you know, consider that in terms of the building materials, the, the notion of the building, the architects that they use, and the architects themselves need to be way, way, you know, super collaborative in terms of providing a space that has resonance in a community. We, we did used to have, absolutely we had that. We absolutely had that. And that's why I think it, you know, it's sad to hear people saying, oh, well, it's all, about, it's all about budgets. I mean, it's bullshit. Should we end on the word bullshit? <laughs> Sorry. Let's break down the hierarchy between panellists and everyone else, and we can just carry on chatting after this. So thank you so much, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more on Negroni Talks, visit our website at www.fourthspace.co.uk where you can see all our past and upcoming events or find us and subscribe to the show in iTunes. Negroni Talks, mixing it in architecture. <laughs>